Welcome to today's Global Connections program. I'm Bill Miller. Today we're going to take a look at some of the outstanding philosophers and religious leaders in the past and some in the present to see how their teachings can be of value to us as we confront a variety of issues such as dysfunctional societies, climate change, and many others. My guest today is an expert on this topic. Dr. Ashok Gangadeen is a world-renowned philosopher, prolific author, and spiritual activist. He is the Margaret Guest Professor of Global Philosophy at Haverford College in Haverford, Pennsylvania, and he's also the founder and director of the Global Dialogue Institute. Dr. Gangadeen, welcome to today's Global Connections program. Thank you so much, Bill. A pleasure to be with you in this conversation. I appreciate you being with me today. Let's jump right into it and talk about the Global Dialogue Institute. When was it formed? Why was it formed? What's its major mission? Great question. Thank you. Uh, well, I've been at Hammerford College in my 54th year. And imagine when I arrived in 1968 as a young philosopher, a logician, understanding the laws of consciousness and thought and reason. That's my field. I realized that uh, we don't yet understand how to cross different worldviews and, and cultures and religions because a world is a, a worldview of being Christian, being Muslim, being Buddhist, being uh, uh, the Jewish uh, mosaic persuasion. These are different mental spaces, mental ecologies, different worldviews. And I realized uh, as a philosopher, can I, as a trained in Western philosophy, can I understand Eastern thought? Can I enter the Buddha mind? Can I enter yoga? Can I understand Lao Tzu in Chinese? And I realized we didn't understand how to cross worlds. And so I focused my career there. I said, we have to understand how to cross and under communicate across the boundaries of our different worldviews, because what makes sense in one world doesn't make sense in another. So over the decades, I uh, eventually opened up the Global Dialogue Institute. It's a new word. Global dialogue means not just the globe, but across worldviews. To understand the mental capacities of deep dialogue across borders. So that's basically the urgent need for people to learn dialogue across worldviews, ecologies of the mind. I hope that helps. It does. Communication and world understanding are absolutely critical, and we need more of it around the world and in our own communities. Well, you've done a variety of really substantive activities over the years, and one, we won't get to all of them today, unfortunately, but one is you launched a TV series called 1776 Now. What was the thrust of that series and how does that tie in to what we're talking about up to this point? Great question. It directly ties in, Bill. And there was a certain urgency in the a kind of meltdown in the democracy, as we know it in the U.S. context, which is on my home, home base. And it has to do with the breakdown of dialogue across our different uh, ideologies. Uh, we're supposed to be in, in, a, in, a, in the American civic space. Uh, you know, in a way, global means across worldviews and, and uh, cultures and ethnic, ethnic orientations and so forth across borders. And if we are a multicultural society and we don't know how to dialogue across our different worldviews, same question, then democracy is in a meltdown. It cannot work and we cannot enter the republic. And I spent years studying the foundations of 1776. I'm here in Philadelphia, Bill. I went to the Christ Church where Jefferson, George Washington, Franklin sat. I sat on the infamous chair of George Washington and it showed me where Be Je Jefferson would sit and others. And I read the declaration. And I was astounded because when you read it in terms of the global space, we hold these truths to be self-evident. That we're endowed by God's nature and nature's God. 
with inalienable rights, life, liberty, well-being, I began to say, my God, this is really capping the, glo the global logos. This is not just Jefferson's personal opinion or, or, or Penn or Franklin or any of the great authors. These are geniuses, but they were tapping the logos. The word logos from the Greek means the space of reason. And so I saw, it's, when I looked around the culture on the American scene and what is passing for democracy, small d, has not yet truly tapped the logos, one nation under source, indivisible. We haven't done that yet. Where Martin Luther King says, I've been to the mountain, I've seen the other side, I, won't, I may not get there with you. Where is that? To the place of dialogue. So what became clear to me, Bill, was America is still in monologue. People have their different views and they see it from their point of view, but they don't know how to open up the mind and dialogue across borders. And that is vital for democracy. So I, I felt before the last election, when I saw the crisis emerging and people are saying, look, our democracy is at stake now. Uh, can we save the soul of a nation? I felt moved to bring my research to that particular lab, laboratory of the American scene and call out to America, my fellow Americans, please folks, listen to our great leaders and listen to the source of 1776, the call of Logos to en enter a republic of dialogue across borders. So that's really at the heart of that, uh, the motive for that and the timing of it, Bill. And if our viewers would like, they can get more information on this by going to www.awakeningmind.org and tap into it. There are so many terms, and we're going to get back to some of the crises we're dealing with today, but there are so many terms that are out there that we hear about that uh, I think maybe need a little explanation. We hear about global consciousness, the global mind, global literacy, global reasons, or reasoning, I should say. How do you define some of those terms, and how do they work together to help us to develop this open mind and to promote cross-cultural communication? That's a great question again, Bill, you're on a roll. Uh, you know, every language, what we use in everyday language, this is vital to my whole work, what my discovery as a philosopher, it's called first philosophy, Bill. That's what Aristotle uh, called uh, philosophy, love of uh, Sophia, philosophia, love of wisdom. First philosophy is the attempt to get to the language of what's first, the logos, or, or in the Judaic tradition, what is first, Yahweh. In the Muslim tradition, Allah, surrender to Allah. In the yoga tradition, Om, Brahman. In the Buddha tradition, the Buddha, all of these great geniuses, first philosophers, are trying to get us to understand how to cross into the code, the matrix, the language of what's first. And people don't realize that that's where we find the heart of global consciousness. It's not the ordinary consciousness. Everyone, everyone interprets the world. We have a lens. This is key, uh, Bill. We, we don't even realize when we are raised in a culture where we're, we're, inscribing in our consciousness uh, a lens, a code, uh, a grammar of culture, how we interpret the world. Humans interpret our worlds. We read it. We make sense of it. We're using a lens. And we don't have lensitivity. We don't have lens consciousness. And therefore, we interpret it on our terms, even the culture as a whole. I can be in a religion. I can be in a science. I can be, and we have a certain lens. So global consciousness is becoming aware of the local lens and realizing to open up a global lens is a whole new technological advance. It's like software for the mind. Just as you have a Microsoft that moved from the typewriter to the computer, our culture is being processed by a certain way of thinking across the planet in our development, information-based, but we're not tapping the source. 
1776 is calling us, we hold these truths to be self-evident, not on our terms, but when we understand it on Logos terms, it shines forth in its truth. So the question, Bill, is ordinary monocentric consciousness is centered around our lens, the, the one way we've developed so far brilliantly in processing information. But our great first teachers are calling us to go into a global lens. That's global consciousness. That's global reason. What is reason? The logos, the light of reason. When Plato said, until we have reason, logos, ruling in the culture, we won't have a republic. So democracy requires the rule of reason. And our reason is not necessarily the source of reason. That's global consciousness. Do you think there have been periods where we've started to move more aggressively into this global consciousness? It seems to me, now correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that lately we're, we're sort of retreating from that in that we're, we're developing cults, especially in the United States and in some other parts of the world. And we see people that are basically melding into their own particular ethnic group or tribe or whatever you want to call them or people who think the same way they do. But are we, have we in the past been moving in this direction and now we're sort of retreating or are we still moving forward? That's a great question. Uh, what I find when you step back as, as I've spent my decades of, of, as a first philosopher, looking at the evolution from Moses to Jesus all the way through the centuries to the Quakers, the founders of Haverford College, or you look at Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, all the way through Descartes, Spinoza, Leibniz, into the contemporary world. All of these, all of these uh, tra tra traditions were trying to get to this first field. And if not, that's where the global space is, that becomes ecumenical. In other words, logos, the source of reason, it's not tribal, it's ecumenical, all worldviews. It's a source of all worlds, all languages come from that space. So your question is great, but all through the century, let's say 2,500 years, Buddha is calling us out, Moses is calling out, Jesus is calling us out, Muhammad is calling us out later, right? And Aristotle, Plato is calling us out to enter the logos. East, West, North, and South, the, the logos is calling humans. And yet we've been within a certain adolescent stage of mind processing, mindware, that can be malware, if we objectify and are local and tribal and only see it from our point of view. Is it my will first, or is there a higher force of truth? And if we put our will first, you're going to get exactly what you suggest. Through the centuries, all forms of cultism, tribalism, racism, sexism, all of these isms are really stemming from the code of the mind that we're not sufficiently educated in yet to see that we have to make a code shift from one grammar, one level of language to a deeper logos language, logos code. And that should be a goal that we're all striving to achieve. Well, you're watching Global Connections Television, which is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guest. We'd invite our viewers to go to our website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous programs. Also, if you're involved with a PBS or Community Access Television Station, or perhaps a podcast, or an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or you just have a computer, you like our shows, and you'd like to share them, please feel free to do so. Global Connections Television is provided at no cost as a public service to help us better understand international issues and how they impact our lives. Today, we're taking a look at some of the great philosophers and religious people from the past 
to look at how we're dealing with some of the problems of today and how some of their wise, insightful comments could be perhaps better utilized. My guest is an expert in this area. Dr. Ashok Gangadeen is a world-renowned philosopher, prolific author, and spiritual activist. He's the Margaret Guest Professor of Global Philosophy at Haver Haverford College in Haverford, Pennsylvania, and he's the founder and director of the Global Dialogue Institute. Dr. Gangadeen, I'm glad you mentioned Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, and also great religious leaders, Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, folks from the past. If they, and we will never be presumptuous enough, or I won't anyway, be presumptuous enough to say, when I knew exactly what they were think, thinking, because I didn't, but you have a much better idea. But if they were, let's just assume if they were alive today, how would they react to how we're dealing with some of these crises? And I, some of them that are really, are going to alter our society. They're already doing it. One in particular is climate change, which is now a climate crisis. We've got an attack on democracy that's taking place in the United States and in many countries around the world. But I'll just take those two as examples. How would they react to this? And what can we learn from their writings and teachings that could help us better deal with these problems? That's a great question. And uh, as I said earlier, Bill, I spent my in, in 54 years here at Haverford College, but the last 60 years of my life, I felt called to, to follow the trail of the, the, the Logos light, uh, the light of reason all my life. And as I lived through all of these great traditions, uh, the Judaic tradition, the call of the Moses, of Yahweh calling out to, to Israel, the Lord thy God is one, love me with all your heart, mind, spirit. Uh, Jesus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Socrates drinking the hemlock, being punished because he saw that the Logos was being compromised by the sophistry of the culture, opinionism. And he said, we cannot lose the Logos. And he was punished with the death sentence. We had to leave the cave and enter the Logos light. Buddha seeing that humans are suffering existentially and we can end it, we're, we're using a malpractice of the mind. And we can reform and re rehabilitate our mind to enter into the Buddha Dharma where everything is connected in the unified field. All of the Bhagavad Gita, Lord Krishna is coaching Arjuna, the warrior, to step back from his ego mental, privileging his ego life, and stepping into the Om, into the fundamental field. So I began to, the Tao in China, ancient China, Lao Tzu, the Tao that is named in our ordinary language is not the Tao. If you look across the planet, uh, you know, the Muhammad surrendered to Allah, what's going on? They're all calling us in diverse ways to recognize that we are privileging our own perspective, our own wills, our own judgment first, and not recognizing a deeper, higher truth of reality on the ground floor by different names. And when we realize, Bill, that once we see that the infinite cannot be divided, it's a fundamental ABC. When I saw that clearly, and Descartes saw it clearly in his meditations on first philosophy, the infinite is infinitely one. That's science. Because if you had two, then they, they abort each other. They deny each other. You can't other the infinite. And therefore, it's infinitely one. And if it's infinitely one, then it's the source of all. And everything is connected. And if our great teachers and geniuses of the past and scriptures were to come, let's say, to Philadelphia. Imagine this. I have this in a scene of a, a movie script I'm writing called Global Enlightenment. I imagine an opening scene in which our great teachers, as you suggest, Imagine Lao Tzu and Moses and Jesus and Buddha and Krishna, on and on, Magdalene, all coming to Philadelphia. 
because they're alarmed at what's going on on the planet. The meltdown of the planet, the meltdown of our ecologies, human relations, all forms of violence to one another. If they were to appear now in Philadelphia, imagine the movie scene, right? Uh, in which you're going to come, however they arrive, right? And they decide to go out to the countryside, Haverford College, they heard of the Quaker College and they're meeting here in Great Hall. What do they say? What do they see? Do they hang out together? Do they care for each other? Of course they do. They recognize that Allah, Yahweh, Brahman, Om, Tao, names for the infinite are infinitely connected. And that's the Unam, the missing unity of Logos. We don't even have a name. That's a frontier, Bill. We don't even have a language yet because of all of these divided names, but we don't see that they're deeply connected. And that's where I use Unam. I introduced code markers decades ago. Uh, humans have to learn which code are you in, which mindware, which mind processing technology. Are you in the ego, mental Lego space, Lego pieces, where you piecemeal and slash things? Or are you in the integral, holistic, organic that, that our great teachers are calling us to? And it's a different language. When Jesus speaks that language, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And John points out this is a Logos in the flesh. The, 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 the infinite force in, manifest in the flesh in Jesus. How is that Logos speaking? He speaks a weird language. And if we're using the ego-based lens, we can't hear it. And that's why Jesus gets frustrated at one point. So for those who have ears, let them hear, right? And Buddha, the same thing. The everyday people, you can't download the higher language into our familiar everyday script. It's not powerful enough. That, that resonates <laughs> quite nicely as to what should be done. It, it, it strikes me as somewhat ironic as we look at what's going on, especially this frontal assault on democracy in the United States with uh, we're talking about the big lie of having won an election, the former president who did not win it. Uh, we see people who are going to school board meetings, threatening people, actually physical violence against many people, not just at school board meetings, but in other areas. But it seems to me that we need to look at the teachings of Jesus, who said, love thy neighbor as thyself, love one another, that type of thing. How can they do that? If people are, like I say, breaking into their camps, what can they do? I know they can go to your website. They can certainly try to get more information on this. But what, what recommendation would you have for them to help break down these defensive walls that are being created and all of this misinformation. And of course, when we're talking about misinformation, we have to put a large part of the, the blame, to be quite honest, on some of the news outlets, so-called news outlets like One America News, uh, Newsmax, Fox, different ones like that, who are just pumping out misinformation after misinformation. But what can they do to develop a more global approach and develop that that wider lens and global consciousness. Excellent, you well articulated, Bill. That's right. And picking up on the theme of your former earlier question, imagine if our global, uh, you know, spiritual uh, leaders, first thinkers, who are all struggling and, and beautifully ingenious ways, opening up pathways to what is first, and realizing it's the, the infinite is infinitely unum and pluribus. This is huge. What's on the ground floor of reality? What's the code of reality? You can't bind it. It's infinite. It's infinitely one. And therefore, diversity is held together in unity, profound in that missing grammar of language of logos. And if our great teachers were to appear in Philadelphia to just look around and see, and see what you just reported, they would see folks still have not 
yet made a code shift. They've not seen a code implanted in our consciousness is an adolescent code. And we all are calling us to rise to a global lens, a source lens. Why? Because reality is an interconnected continuum, a flow. Our worlds are connected in the logos. And until we know that we're going to be in tribalism and opinionism and broken pieces of ideologies at war and therefore misinformation. So why, if we, if we therefore have this, the source science, let's call it source science, source medical science, to look at the uh, diagnostically as with like Jesus eyes and Buddha eyes and Krishna eyes and Lao Tzu eyes and Socrates eyes and see what's going on in the culture, they'll say the lens is not yet matured. We're still myopic, we're still monocentric, we're not dialogic. That's the lens issue. And, that, and, and then the medical result of that is what you see now. Misinformation, disinformation, but all information in that space, in a way, is disinformational if it's cut off from the source of information. What's the source of information? The fundamental field of the word, of the being, of reality, of logos. And our great teachers are coming and tapping that space and opening it up for us, and we haven't yet made that crossing. And the medical result, your earlier question, Bill, is are we getting worse now? Well, if you have a virus and you don't tend to it and diagnose it, it's gonna get worse. And that's what's getting the myopic mind, the malware of the dominant cultural technology, which is informationism, which is what? I've got my facts. But what is a fact in one culture? You might go into another culture and say they treat nature as alive. It's Gaia. We see it as material dead nature. When we cross worlds, we have different ways of understanding reality. So how do we communicate against that? We've got to dilate our dialogue lens. Why? Because we are all I, thou. The word I, thou, Buber brought that in. The other is not objectified. If you objectify the other and use your lens on him and her, you're violating the otherness of the other. So to, to, to get to the medical source, we've got to call out the lens issue, Bill. We've got to realize and educate all of our, all, of, all citizens, all people of all ages, become a, a, aware that you're using a lens of technology to process reality. And if you're not aware of it, you will inadvertently, unintentionally, or intentionally reduce the other to your terms, a form of violence, rather than dilate open to allow the other to speak in her voice. And that's really the crossing that the great teachers are calling us for. That was a perfect way to wrap up the discussion because you're absolutely right. And we all, as I see it, we have a responsibility to ourselves and to the society and the world is large to really to work towards creating a better world, to leaving the world in a better condition than what we founded. And in pursuit of that, we have to learn facts. We all have opinions, we're entitled to our opinions, but we're not all entitled to make up our own facts. And we have to learn what are the truths, and this is one way we should do it. And we really should move forward on that. But Dr. Ashok Gangadeen, I want to thank you so very much for a very interesting, and a very informative program. Thank you, Billy. Excellent questions and you're very invitational. Thank you very much. Thank you. I am Bill Miller. Thank you for joining us today on Global Connections Television. Global Connections Television is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite you to go to the website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous shows. 
If you're involved with a PBS or community access television station or an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup or perhaps a podcast or just a computer and would like to share the programs, please feel free to do so. Global Connections is provided at no cost to help people in the U.S. and worldwide better understand how international issues impact our lives. 